welcome back to another episode of the Python People podcast, the home for global technology leaders to share insights with the tech community. Um, and this week, we are honoured to be joined by uh, our special guest, Matthew Lee. Matt, um, thank you for joining us Hi. today. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for, for having me. You're more than welcome. You. You're more than welcome. I'm looking forward to our, uh, our chat. So, uh, Matt, to uh, introduce you to anyone that hasn't had the pleasure uh, so far, you are the uh, principal data scientist for uh, Sonry Analytics um, and Sonry, a business doing some very interesting and pioneering um, data focused work in the um, biomedical space. And um, I'm sure we'll get into talking about that in uh, in a wee while. But um, I like to start where I where I usually like to start, which is to talk about you uh, and your your background as a um, as a leader in um, in data, so um, yeah, it'd be great if you'd be so kind to give us a little bit of your journey through uh, through data uh, so far, and, and a bit about your uh, your background and career career to date. Sure. So uh, I guess a good place to start would be uh, at my degree. So I did a physics degree at York, and from there I I joined the NHS on a uh, clinical scientist training program. So that was training up to be become a medical physicist within the NHS. Um, that, that was really interesting. So uh, it was a four-year scheme, and uh, part of it was going to UCL, um, University College London, um, to do a master's in, I think the title was radiation physics, but it was a medical physics degree. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that was very interesting. Um, started to get, I had a bit of an introduction to um, coding, when I was uh, uh, doing my physics degree, uh, Fortran uh, and things like that. So I'm showing my age. Old school. Bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then uh, in the master's, um, I got introduced to MATLAB and uh, started using that in, in little projects as part of the you know, training scheme. Um, so it was, uh, it was a bit of nuclear medicine, um, radiation protection and medical imaging, which is what I've ended up in. Um, but uh, for yeah, for a long time I was um, more specialised in nuclear medicine, which was uh, very interesting. And did a did a master's project in that field, which was was cool. It was actually using Java uh, for that project, just because my supervisors were well versed in Java, and that's where I could get the help. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so that that was really cool. I also did a bit of bit of lecturing um, when I was there. So that was uh, that's the only time I've done lecturing, but um that was a really interesting uh enjoyable experience so yeah so uh so i've done this uh training scheme uh i was based in canterbury at first but it took me to brighton uh and then to belfast is where, where that's where i'm based now mm -hmm. uh so it's in uh, my medical physics role uh in in belfast uh, and uh, at that point, I was working more in uh, mammography physics, so the testing of the equipment that um, kind of provides the images for the screening program. And as it, within breast screening, um, at that time, you were starting to hear in research papers about AI starting to come in and assist radiologists. And um, so there'll be something called CAD, computer aided detection. I know that's an acronym. That acronym means something else in a different field, but com computer aided detection is where AI first started coming in. And that was quite interesting. So, in my role as a physicist, I uh, kind of read around these things, but not actually get to apply them. 
So yeah, that, that takes me up to uh, getting into Belfast. Um, from from there, I left the NHS and joined a, a company that supplied energy equipment to the NHS. Um, so that, that was an interesting role. Um, it was uh, I'm kind of going off the data subject here because it's it had not, not much to do with data. Um, there was uh, training, um, training users, radiographers, um, and sometimes radiologists on on new bits of kit, installing the kit, doing uh, kind of quality control uh, thereafter. It was it was interesting and varied job. Uh, also involved a lot of travel. So when my uh, family began to grow, uh, I, I decided to go back to what I was more interested in, which was in the coding. Um, and I got a job um, at an insurance company of all places. Um, so uh, all state insurance in Northern Ireland uh, had this kind of incubation program for machine learning engineers. They were aware that there's a, uh, uh, well, especially at the time, there was uh, a lot more demand than there were machine learning engineers. So they, they had this really, um, well, it was a great program to train people on the job people that have come from maybe a scientific background with a bit of coding experience. Um, so uh, that, that was fantastic. Um, and got, yeah, I was working on images there as well. So one of the main projects I was doing uh, was, or working on was uh, trying to automatically read VIN. So VIN is the vehicle identification number, uh, not the license, not a big license plate, which is fairly easy to read. Um, the customers have taken pictures of the VIN in their windshield, a long 17 digit uh, alphanumeric, uh, sending it in. And um, so this was being read uh, by a person uh, generally and taking a lot of time, uh, prone to kind of keystroke errors, uh, entering 17 digits when it's not like a, a word, it's just a random alphanumeric sequence. So um, working on automating that, which was really interesting. Um, yeah, uh, use some, one of the tools or uh, algorithms I've stumbled across to actually uh, implement that and execute it was called UNET, which is really a really popular model in the kind of, well, it was um, designed for biomedical imaging. So, uh, when I was researching solutions for that uh, VIN problem, I came across this and then I got, went down the rabbit hole, could see how um, you know, these algorithms are helping back in the kind of healthcare role. Um, so like I say, I was, I was in the NHS for nearly 10 years. I had a, a passion for, for that kind of healthcare role with the feel good factor at the end of the week when you, when you know you've helped people. So. Mm. That got me uh, uh, interested in applying the skills I'd learned uh, uh, all state back into the healthcare kind of domain. Um, and then a job at Son Sonry Analytics came up. So Sonry is the Irish word for data. Um, it's an Irish company. Um, so yeah, uh, data analytics. Um, and yeah, uh, they, uh, I was approached about this job where uh, they were saying, uh, apply all of these things uh, back into the healthcare world, um, work with really interesting data, uh, really cool companies as well in partnership. Um, I joined in 
uh, April 2020, uh, so uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic, um, to get a bit of grief because uh, it's a startup. So my partner was saying, do you want to join a startup at the beginning of the pandemic? And everyone's worried about a recession. The yeah. verbal jump, but um, I really liked the, the team um, and it's worked out really well. So I joined as a senior data scientist uh, then and since been promoted to principal data scientist. So it's uh, Sonry. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm rambling. Stop me if I'm uh, rambling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Sonry, um, I'm, I'm mostly working back in the uh, imaging space again. So um, um, it, uh, particularly with pathology images. So pathology images are uh, they're, they're really interesting to work with. They're, they're vast. That's the main uh, main thing about well, main difference about them. So uh, in many ways, it's similar to other um, images you get in healthcare, uh, like CT, MRI. Uh, some of them are kind of DICOM, DICOM compliant, same as those. Um, the, the difference really is the, the size of the images. So um, they're almost always gigapixel, so billions of pixels in a single image. Um, and the resolution, so you get resolution down to about 0.25 microns is the industry kind of standard uh, for the, the resolution of the, these images. So that, that's how you get such a large image because uh, each pixel represents a really small area. Um, okay. And yeah, um, they, so that presents particular challenges for uh, applying these algorithms. So you can't, you can't feed a gigapixel uh, image into a neural network, it just doesn't there's no, well, uh, unless you've got a, uh, access to a supercomputer, you just don't have the capacity to load that into RAM uh, at once. So it presents uh, interesting challenges, which are fa fairly unique. Uh, there, there are other uh, domains which have similar problems, like uh, geospatial data, for instance, just because of the scale. Scale, yeah, yeah. But so what sort of um, what sort of challenges do you encounter with, with those types of images that you, you say you don't necessarily find in in uh, you know not, not quite as vast images uh, it's, it's kind of an engineering problem really uh, as it was partly engineering um, and also uh, if you take um, some of the popular um, machine learning challenges of Kind of helped machine learning progress uh, specifically computer vision um, like uh, ImageNet. So ImageNet is, uh, I don't know how many images there are, but look, the pictures of cats, dogs, and etc. But they're typically like a couple of hundred pixels square. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and you can put, put those on uh, through a neural network. So you have an input tensor, which is couple of hundred pixels square um they typically get reshaped to like 256 by 256 or, or what have you and you could do that with a um a pathology image you could resize and interpolate to, to get like a thumbnail but but then you lose all all detail so there's a reason they're scanned at such high resolution and that's because if you want to see cells and um, the detail around it you know, uh, the features of tissue, um, and then you need to have that resolution. And if you want to have that resolution and capture any kind of area of significance, significance at all, then you end up with these, these very large images. 
Oh, I see, I see. So the challenges um, uh, in how you use deep learning, you apply deep learning to these, um, these are very large images, which are interesting. And there's, there's different solutions to that. So uh, multiple instance learning is, uh, is a really cool um, solution. Um, and then there's kind of just uh, um, break it down into chunks. Uh, so uh, tiling is the kind of what we would say in the industry. Uh, so you, you tile an image, you break it down into two, five, six squares or uh, one to eight squares and apply deep learning at kind of the, that tile level and then aggregate the results thereafter. So. Uh, so, yes, and there's, there's more solutions as well, but they're, they're kind of the main ones there. So. Cool, great, great stuff. Yeah, well, thank. It's always really, you know, never having done this job for as long as I have, I never get tired of hearing people's journey into data science because one of the things I love about it is there's no, you know, there's no kind of clear path necessarily or a class, a classic way into data science. I guess, you know, you could go to university and study data science and analytics or whatever, and then maybe go into that. But generally speaking, you do tend to find that people, yeah, I guess, because it's still a relatively, you know, new area of technology in, in terms of how it's labeled now. Um, a lot of people kind of find their way into it and, and you tend to see it attract a lot of people that are you know, very bright, very curious sort of problem solving type professionals that, that sort of uh, understand the, the value that data science can bear upon solving really, really complex problems. And then, you know, sort of go into that field and, you know, like I say, find it very rewarding. And, and um, I, I think we've definitely seen since the pandemic, um, you know, personally, I've, I've seen a big shift, I think, in people's conscious towards picking companies where, you know, one of the great things about data science, obviously, is you can solve problems in all, you know, it's been applied in all walks of life, all different domains and sectors, but definitely seen a big shift towards people trying to solve problems in, industries where they are making a difference like i said and can go home at the end of the day with with a smile on their face you know knowing they've actually had you know made a difference um and uh how much does that factor into you know to you could you see yourself doing data science in a in a different domain in a different industry or do you feel that that sort of uh you know impact of what you're doing in the in the healthcare and sort of biomedical spaces um yeah um yeah, that's an interesting question because um, uh, there are obviously, a, like you say, a, a broad range of interest, industries where data science has been applied. Yeah. In particular, um, yeah, I'm sure the salaries in, in finance uh, are pretty eye-watering. Uh, in fact, you, you see uh, salaries pop up um, and it does, it does turn your head sometimes. But um yeah, I, I really get a lot of value from um, knowing what I'm doing is benefiting people in such a direct way. Um, I, I, I don't mean to uh, discredit or uh, jump on people doing it in finance or whatever, it's, it's, it's grand. But um, for, for me, I, I, I do value that kind of direct um, effect of what I'm doing, um, if you like. Um, and, and there's other areas which um, I would consider working in the future. Um, I would see what I'm, uh, kind of applications of what I'm doing being, uh, being used in things like recycling or um, green, green tech, if you like, eco tech. Mm. Um, recycling in particular is, uh, yeah, com computer vision is uh, really handy for automating things which are fairly mundane. 
So if you have a kind of recycling conveyor belt and you can pick out plastics and metal and and things like that, um, I, I could see that uh, this this skills I've got from doing this role and um, previous roles uh, could be useful in something mm. like that. Um, nice. So uh, and, and other areas as well. That's uh, just uh, yeah, one example. Um, yeah. Nice, nice that you can sort of see a transferability. But it's still within a domain that's kind of you know focused on tech for good as well, isn't it? And that, that would have a social impact. So uh, yeah, it'd be yeah. a bit a bit of a shame if you could uh, yes see that it maybe had tran transferability to the tobacco industry or something. <laughs> um, so it's good to know you can you can keep it within a in a social impact space. Um, but uh, but no, I mean I, I am yeah yeah we, we are I guess as a business we are quite sector agnostic uh you know very much focused on the the data and tech vertical but we deal with clients across a range of different sectors we do by virtue i think of our kind of mission and our ethos as a business we do actually end up working partnering with a lot of tech for good businesses and uh one of the areas that i i'm always really passionate or really interested in i guess actually is is the kind of you know the health tech and the biomedical space because of the like you say you can see the direct impact on actually what you're building how that's genuinely yeah. helping save lives and i just think it's so interesting in terms of like i said how computer vision is is sort of really evolving to um you know bring an extra layer of of kind of sophistication to uh you know the, what we do um but from from your experience and uh your kind of expertise in in the domain what what um what other applications, I guess, of, of machine learning or data science are you most excited about in in the world of you know, biotech? So yeah, um, staying on computer vision for for a sec. Um, so I mentioned uh, in the intro the um, computer aided detection uh, for mammography. So I can see see that principle being applied to all sorts of images for all sorts of uh, so screening programs in particular. One of the yeah. things with uh, one of the problems with screening programs is by kind of by definition you're applying them to vast swathes of the population so you've got this large burden then on generally very well paid um, and very well trained um, uh, people <laughs> uh, so it could be a radiologist or pathologist uh, or something else uh, to analyze this, these images um, and um, the both, I think, both in pathology and radiology, the I think the average age is is very high, and there's there's concerns of uh, having enough people in the future to enough skilled people to read these images. So, where where you've got that scale problem, uh, obviously, when it, when you've trained a model, it doesn't get tired. You can deploy it uh, anywhere, um, and you can run through images. Uh, you can scale to kind of however many you need. So having having that is is really valuable, and um, you can uh, utilize that in a number of ways. You can have it as computer aided detection. So you, you take a bit of the burden off radio radiologists, say for example, because you're showing them areas of uh, concern that they might want might want to consider in more detail. So it's a tool, then. or you could say uh, let's take um, because with screening, you know, the vast majority are negative. And you can say um, with uh, with a model, uh, you get an output which uh, sometimes would be confidently negative and sometimes kind of indeterminate and sometimes confidently positive. 
So if you could take uh, the confidently negative and say you don't need to uh, you don't need to worry about these ones. We're really sure that uh, there's there's no pathology here, and that can really reduce the burden as well. And let the human experts focus on the the things where the model struggles. So mm. that's one one area. Um, yeah. Another area I think is where um, it's really hard to combine information from different sources. So say you've got uh, imaging data, so it could be pathology or radiology, like I say, uh, and genetic data. You've got uh, those two data sources and you've got the, the ground truth for what you're trying to predict. So it could be cancer or uh, cancer stage, for example. So if you combine those two um, in a kind of conventional way, then it'll be the output of uh, the imaging and the output of whatever the tests so be kind of two solo figures that get combined to predict something else. What you can do is say, um, have the, um, the features from the imaging. Uh, uh, so right, rather than go right to the end and say, this is a positive uh, kind of uh, case for the imaging test. This is a positive case for the genetic test. You can take a step back and, and take some of the, um, the calculated features from both of them and combine them. So, uh, so in in our field, it's called multiomics. Um, so multiomics kind of uh, analysis. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, that's really interesting, and that's something that is is very hard for a person to do. Um, you can feed that information into a model, and it can learn some really cool stuff. Uh, it might might learn that um, such and such gene with such and such feature from an image is a really prognostic fact. Um, that's something that'd be very hard to teach someone um, or uh, you know, hard to learn. And I'm, I'm convinced that uh, multiomic kind of strategies will ident identify these new kind of combinations of features. Uh, well, in fact, it already is, is, uh, is proving really effective by um, by combining like models with uh, the on tabular tabular data and uh, imaging data, for, for example, uh, it's, it's already proving really effective. Um, Brilliant! Yeah, fantastic. That's great to hear. It's already already having a big impact. And any and you mentioned earlier, kind of the the, the size of the, the images that you're you're working on. You sort of see a little bit of a crossover with the likes of kind of geographical data in in terms yeah. of you know, sort of volumes like are there any other areas where the kind of work you're doing you're seeing any interesting crossovers with with other industries um in terms of uh, its application so geospatial will be the, uh, the main one for the imaging um in terms of the um the, the kind of scale is is fairly unique um there's astronomical data as well um, is that kind of scale but that's ge geospatial we're just pointing in the other direction right uh, <laughs> to, back down to us um, so yeah the, the, for vision that's the, the kind of main parallels if you like um, for the pathology work but then for, for, for computer vision in general there's applications everywhere so um, we, we generally take, um, use transfer learning. So we, we take the pre-trained weights from the likes of ImageNet and it still kind of boosts the, the model's performance. So 
um, models and architectures that are being developed for general use uh, can uh, get kind of brought into the medical domain and being applied to all sorts of images, uh, medical images, including histopathology, um, right. which is where I'm focused. So, uh, cool. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Um, and you've obviously come from this kind of, you know, physicist kind of physics background um physician background and and kind of moved into the world of data um do you feel your your background prior to getting into data science has i guess you know, domain knowledge aside do you feel it's been did you sort of pick up quite important traits um that you think have helped you in your in your role and, and i suppose what do you feel are the most important traits as a you know, to be a quality data scientist in your field? For sure. Um, in, in physics, I think um, the kind of problem solving um, aspect of physics, um, both, uh, both in the lab work, uh, from, you know, going way back to my undergrad, um, that, that's really important. Um, it's the skills that you, you learn from that, um, that process, you know, doing labs and trying to figure things out from the data that's presented that you obtain when you're doing the lab work. Mm. Um, so that, there's that, uh, the, kind of the mathematics that underlies physics is the same mathematics that underlies data science. So mm. um, it's uh, a heck of a lot of uh, calculus in physics and calculus uh, kind of underlies the statistical learning that we, we all uh, deploy every day. So that's, that, that was uh, that's a big help as well. And in statistics in general. So um, especially for, uh, with the medical physics degree, there's a, a module on statistics. And that, that's, uh, that was really valuable. Um, still look back, back at the notes every now and then. Mm. Um, and having that kind of information and that, that grounding um, to then critically analyze papers uh, so doing research is uh, you know, key part of the job. If you want to want to stay on the cutting edge or close to it, um, and being able to analyze papers and um, from that kind of point of view is something that I really picked up, uh, both in physics and, and medical physics, uh, perhaps even more so. Um, so yeah, the, the problems problem solving, uh, mathematical kind of background and uh, and then stats because. It's all statistical learning, really. Um, yes, yeah. I guess uh, that's a very good point. A couple of things quite interesting there. I guess like the ability to analyze and understand papers definitely. I suppose very key, yeah. isn't it? Especially in the, the the sort of the biomedical world of taking learnings from a paper and understanding how you can transpose that to your situation or your particular problem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, yeah. Sorry, the uh, the engineering side shouldn't be overlooked. Uh, so, uh, if, if you sometimes academics will come straight from their kind of academic field, uh, and, and I did this, I must admit. So, coming from the NHS into Allstate, my I think my coding was was okay as a as an individual, but that's not how you work when you when you join a company that that writes code. So when you um, coming from the academic world, you, you might be quite good at programming, but uh, programming also a team game, and you need to make sure your code is legible um, by everyone else. So 
that, that was a bit of a shock uh, for me. Um, maybe not a shock, but a, a learning curve, um, making my code deployable, shareable, and, and understandable, maintainable. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that's another key thing that uh, is kind of learned on raw as well. Yeah, it's a very good point because, you know, again, a lot of people say, well, data scientists is this kind of newfangled, you know, sexy term that flies about in businesses now. But actually, like I say, a lot of it at its heart is statistics that have has been around since, you know, Matt draws off maths and statistics, which obviously, you know, in the, in the commercial world have been used and applied, well, for, for, for donkey's years. But I think the, um, the key differentiator, like you say, or kind of where data science really sort of comes into its own, certainly with kind of applied data science now. And like I said, when we're kind of building out products and things like that is, it is that coding piece, isn't it? It's not necessarily just being able to hack, hack something together or build a model or you know, put something together in Python. It's actually about building best practice, like you say, scalable, deployable code um, that, you know, uh, and I think that's often the piece that a lot of people do struggle with because it's um you know and you could be the, the brightest most academic person in the world but unless you've actually understood you know, you've, you've been around computer programming for long enough that you understand best practice software engineering principles it's it's quite a, a difficult thing to to pick up isn't it um but those data scientists that can you know it's i guess it's a bit of a venn diagram isn't it i think there's that famous model uh, famous diagram out there which is you know mathematical and statistical skills it's domain knowledge and and sort of soft skills and then it's also computer programming you know and that's just kind of the data science that sweet spot that sits in the middle um yeah. but uh but no, i definitely would uh would agree with that um okay fantastic well um i think it's been a really really interesting chat matt and very much uh, enjoyed hearing your perspective on uh on uh you know the, the great work you're doing and um and, and kind of you know how data science is being applied in really innovative ways to the to the the biomedical space and i like to uh, so draw a close to every podcast I do by asking the, the same question at the end, which is how, um, you know, well, I guess what is your your favourite piece of advice um, that you've ever received? You know, if there's something you could pass on to your fellow fellow human, um, you know, what, what would your favourite bit of advice be? Um, it's a tricky one. Well, uh, there's a, a lecturer in, in my undergrads who... Um, it's, it's kind of a key principle in physics, but it really hammered it home. Um, so break down anything, any challenge into first principles. Um, and that, that's a key thing to do in physics. You understand the first principles and build them up, build on top of that. Uh, you come to the answer. Um, that, that applies to coding as well in, in a way. Uh, it's kind of if the single responsibility principle for a function and uh, it's, it's kind of a similar an analogous uh, principle and it's um, it's done me well so um, yeah it's, uh, subjects or um, problems that can seem quite daunting at first when you when you break them down like that um, they, yeah, yeah the answer comes out so. yeah yeah I think that's a, that's a nice kind of analogy to apply to all types of situations in life isn't it not necessarily just data science uh, problems or uh, or physics problems but actually yeah, any problem in life like say something that's quite daunting actually work out you know rather than looking at it from a glass half empty point of view look at it as a glass half full point of view of what's the what's the first most actionable step and how can we break this problem down into the first sort of mini chunk and and uh you know go forward from there so yeah i think that's a 
a very very good bit of advice to uh, for us to end on um so perfect all right well re again really enjoyed the chat thank you very much for uh, for being with us today and uh, and sharing your uh, your wisdom and um yeah look look forward to hearing more from uh, you know sonry analytics as time goes on and, and i'll certainly be keeping up speed with the the great uh, revelations and advances you you guys are making in the in the world of healthcare no thanks very much uh, appreciate the time and i've uh, i've enjoyed it thank you good stuff bye for now